0: That's heritageradio 15 to donate and enter to win today and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers. Shift your business and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com go slash japan.
1: Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Daki a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. I hope all of your uh, listeners uh, stay staying well, in good spirits. Um, our studio is currently closed uh, due to co- uh, the outbreak of COVID-19 in New York City, so I'm recording this episode remotely from my apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. So... Um, well, this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ni sakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my clue guests. And my guest today is John Cox, who is the owner and cooper at Carcass Cooperage in Hudson Valley, New York. And Chef David Israelow, who joined us on episode 144, told me that. There is a unique cooper who is, uh, who manufactures Japanese fermentation equipment in upstate New York. So, here he is. And John founded Kirkus Cooperage in 2015 to pursue the art of traditional coopering. It is one of the 33 cooperages in the States and is one of the very few, or maybe the only one, that manufactures items for Japanese-style fermentation. So today, we'll discuss John's unique career path, his commitment to traditional woodwork, how he got into Japanese fermentation equipment, and much, much more. But uh, quickly, before we start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Eats. And we please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, uh, let's start a conversation with John Cox. Hello, John.
3: Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Akiko. Hi, how are you?
1: Great. So, how are you? <laughs> Considering everything.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I can work because I'm by myself there, and uh, I've been very busy. It's everything's uncertain, you know. Most of my clients are quote-unquote closed at the moment. So, but um, I'm still getting a lot of orders and. Uh, so I'm very busy and I'm thankful right. and- uh, Well,
1: regardless, know, uh, we fermentation doesn't through. stop. So that's why, <laughs> right? All no,
3: right. It yes. Mm. Cooper well, I think essential, it, I, is I like to say. Is it
1: the category? I think uh, you have to keep producing things and you cannot stop bacteria to do their things. So I think officially maybe, <laughs> I don't know, right? <laughs> So so first yeah, of all, yeah, so sure. uh, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up?
3: Oh yeah, uh, so I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I grew up in an Italian household and my grandmother was there almost every day mm. cooking and a lot of cutlets. <laughs> you know, veal cutlets and and fried eggplants and just uh you know, nineteen seventies American uh Italian food. Uh, not many vegetables, and, um, you know, mostly iceberg lettuce. I, I didn't want to tell you that, but I heard the shockies on your show <laughs> and uh, Christopher said that he had the same uh, mm. upbringing, so I thought I'd mention it. And uh, But mostly yeah, American Italian uh, food. And I cooked. I started cooking uh, in a diner when I was uh, like 17. Um, so I learned short order and prep and it taught me a lot of basics on cooking and you know how to Bring a lot of hot dishes to the table all at once and how to do basic um, things and so that mm. was a good foundation ah, Interesting.
1: A- so uh, yeah, I think that's uh, what that Italian grandmother that means you uh, have a blue blood, so congratulations <laughs> um so uh-huh, before uh, you yeah, opened the yeah. uh, Kirkus cooperage in twenty fifteen you already had uh, twenty five years of custom interior woodworking that's what I heard right so how yeah. So uh, how yeah. did you get into work in uh, the first right.
3: place? I, oh, yeah. I was uh, I was studying uh, jazz music in Philadelphia Temple University, and uh, I felt like I didn't really have the chops to do it professionally. And I met a flamenco guitar maker who worked on antiques, and I met a harp and dulcimer uh, repair person. I lived on like a luthier row. Luthiers are people who make instruments. And so I started interning with those gentlemen, and I was Working at a restaurant at night. And they taught me woodworking and instrument making. And I started doing antique restoration and uh, slowly started doing um, interiors, uh, Mm, custom fabrication for interiors. So the music
1: led you to your current career?
3: Yeah, the music led me to my career. Yeah, and after a few years, uh, I moved uh, to New York City, which was common back then for people in Philadelphia because it was about an hour and a half north. And I worked in a large shop in the West Village doing uh, high-end uh, interiors for... Uh, I'm curious,
1: your house is uh, all those filled with beautiful handmade furniture for yourself? <laughs> uh,
3: well, we... Uh, uh yeah some of it yeah uh we built a house at one point and so there's a lot of things that i made in, in that house but uh yeah we were doing uh we an architect would design a space and uh for those price points everything would be custom made and uh and we were, it was almost like fashion there's a certain look that would be on trend and uh we would produce those and it was good but after doing that for 25 years you know and the chemicals that are involved and everything um that sort of led me into where I'm at today, mm. doing the, the coopered vessels. I also did a lot of uh, art fabrication. We worked for uh, sculptors and artists, and we'd be on their team, and we'd create large pieces wow. for them that would be shown in wow, these,
1: uh, galleries. Wow, that's amazing. So it sounds like you are living your dream every day so far in your life. Um, but why coopering? How did you become <laughs> interested in coopering specifically?
3: Oh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, well, after nine, I was in Brooklyn and after nine eleven, uh came upstate. I'm currently an hour and a half north of the city in the Hudson Valley. And I was still going back and forth, but custom interiors can be a challenge. And uh, a friend of mine in early 2015, I was telling him I wanted to stop, you know, uh, doing it. And he said, you know what you should do? You should make barrels. He said, do you know there's a barrel shortage? And I said, no, I no idea there was a barrel shortage and it turned out there was in 2015 and uh so i started researching it and um quickly got sort of obsessed on peeling back the onion because um as some listeners might notice there's not anything online about coopering there's no books uh, There's there's some more videos now lately but it was sort of one of these trades that had died around the industrial revolution and there wasn't just any uh there's no mm. literature on it or instructions. And the people who are doing it were sort of very secretive. And uh, so uh, I started uh, pursuing how to make... A, but the, the reason there is a pack. shortage
1: uh, is that uh, I think in 2011, uh, the state law changed and then everybody is... If you want, you can produce um, anything distilled as far well as you use the uh, local... Uh, sure. agricultural products right so and I heard I think maybe it's from your website where well, there's a and a surge increase in the number of crop, uh, the crop beverage products and then like right, it's like almost like yeah times, like a distiller uh, so yeah. naturally everybody wants to get a barrel and here you are <laughs>
3: yeah well, the interesting thing is there's a little bit more they're actually federally mandated to use new barrels, so um if you opened a distillery tomorrow, uh, you can only use new barrels. you can't reuse the barrels oh. so we have almost two hundred distillers in our state and all over the country, and that's the barrel shortage happened because all these small distilleries, like you said when that law was passed started popping oh, up that
1: was only for and they needed new barrel to be named as bourbon.
3: To use uh, new barrels. Right. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, this, right, seven of the nine bourbons, uh, yeah, so gin and vodka and tequila mm. don't have those regulations. But to make whiskey um, and bourbon, uh, it has to be in uh, the law states right. a new charred oak barrel. So most of the industry was in Kentucky at the time, and even here in the Hudson Valley, uh, some distillers started popping up. One of them is Tuttletown. They were one of the early craft distillers. The people in Kentucky couldn't keep up with the demand that started happening in the craft distilling in Seattle, here in New York, in Pennsylvania. Um, So that led to a shortage um, Mm because they were sort of ignoring these small craft distillers. Meanwhile, the laws were changing and more and more are coming. So when I got into it, wow. uh, the competition had 18-month lead times.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> I know. So everybody's like, this is a great idea. So it kept, me, it kept me in my trade. I didn't have to spray lacquer on pieces. I didn't have to work with, uh, you know, designers and clients. And uh, it seemed very attractive to me. And, uh and the more and more I got into it, and I found out the cultural heritage in the area where I am, and also the American heritage and global and Japan, and the reliance on the barrel for two thousand years that uh, it's still mm. every day. It excites um,
1: me. Yeah, you mentioned it's hard to learn the skills, but how did you learn coopering <laughs> skills?
3: Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, So a few different ways. Well, so I had a shop already, so I had the machinery that I would need. Uh, I bought a large collection of uh, 18th and 19th century hand tools from a museum in (laughs) Ottawa that was deassessing their collection. So I basically got, (laughs) yeah, I got a collection of these. And then I bought uh, five different barrels and I took them apart and measured them and, you know, reverse engineered them and figured out, you know, why did they do this and how did they do that? And, you know, some of my meddling woodworking friends got involved and uh, we broke it down into five systems. And uh, tried to accomplish each one, and when I finally did, after about two years, mm. I was able to hold water for the first time. So the tools really told me a story. They told me, you know, what the man or woman using them had to do, and uh, how they cut, and so then I could adapt my mid twentieth century woodworking mm. machines wow. to do the same so, process.
1: So um, I think when you about to you stress that your production methods are traditional. And I don't know what the modern is, this, this contrast, but um, yes. like what I read is, uh, for example, you use only air-dried New York white oak and traditional toasting and charring methods. And so two questions, what are the modern methods versus these? And uh, how do they make differences in the results compared to, you know, modern methods?
3: Oh yeah, sure. So, um, well, most modern uh, cooperages here and abroad are fully automated now. So there's a lot of CNC machines and uh, automation. And when I say traditional toasting and charring, I refer to the fact that I don't use propane. So a lot of the larger cooperages introduce uh, high propane heat into the barrel to toast it and char it. And some feel that that leaves a residue uh, inside. So I just uh, I like to mention the fact that we mm-hmm. do it uh, using only uh, oak shavings. And some people are like the fact that I, they're made by hand and not, you know, uh, machinery. And uh, But the whole woodworking industry has gone toward like sort of full automation. So know it's hard to Mm -hmm.
1: you can pay attention to details and to make the product more perfect
3: yes Uh uh-huh yeah and uh you know i use local wood um it has to be quarter sawn white oak Uh, the name of my company Mm -hmm. is quercus and that's latin for oak it's the uh, latin genus for uh, quercus alba is white so, because I'm small, I can supply my own wood, and uh, I can't make a lot. During, you know, I can't make more than five or six a week by myself. But uh, yeah, the, they're handmade and local mm. uh, cool, uh, products for the manufacturing. And to some distillers, they like that—that mm. that it's local. It's very sustainable
1: grown, it's in many ways, right? Because you don't have to transport, and probably have a. I don't know. You, have, you buy, purchase the wood from local vendors? Mm-hmm.
3: Right. Well, I buy the logs, and then I have the logs sent to a mill, and he mills them up for me, like I said, quarter sawn. And um, to make a barrel, I need mm. to air dry it for at least two years so that the moisture content comes down and I can't uh, bend kiln-dried wood. So if you asked me to make you a dining table, I would go buy walnut that had been dried in a kiln, and your table wouldn't warp or shrink or check, and it's good. But um, it does something to the structure of the wood, allowing Mm -hmm. me to not be able to bend it into the form of the bag. Two years, that's
1: a long time.
3: Yeah, that's probably another reason. Well, there's not more than <laughs> right. 33 Coopers yeah. in America. Um,
1: So you're very patient. Uh, so currently, what what is in your product line?
3: Yeah. Uh, so I do uh, two sizes of whiskey barrels. I have a nine-gallon Firkin, which is a traditional British ale barrel. And then I have a 30-gallon whiskey barrel. Um, And that seems to be a a nice size for uh, the distillers. They like that. They can get their product out after two years of aging. And um, I started making large, uh, what they call washback tanks, um, like large 800-gallon tanks. If you can imagine a Mm. water tower on the Upper West Side of New York City, you know, without the roof, uh, it's basically the same thing. Uh, It's a hot tub. It's a tank. uh, It's similar to a silo. So it's all Cooper Joinery. You know, I I probably skipped over that, but I'm a Cooper and I'm called that Hmm. because I use uh, Cooper Joinery. um, And that's what keeps both the tanks and barrels water.
1: Wow. Yeah. But the other day, I was like walking outside. I'm in the Bloomsburg, so I see all the tanks, you know, (laughs) as on the street. But I was wondering who's making that kind of, you know, gigantic.
3: There's only one family left. They have a monopoly. Whoa. They're called Uh They still make them um, and caretake them. But mm. uh, basically, it's, you're looking at a large kyoki, uh without the bamboo. Uh, it's the same uh, joinery and mathematics mm. that go into making the staves. Uh, it's an open-top fermenter. Right, okay. That they put a cap on <laughs> to keep the right. pigeons out of.
1: And you have, uh, the, in your portal, you have uh, <laughs> Japanese fermentation uh, items right?
3: Yes. You know, so I started making the barrels and a distiller asked me if I could make him uh, what they call in their industry, a washback. And it's a open top fermenter uh, that they use to ferment the the wort or beef. And uh, I made a small prototype. And as I did that, I realized that there was no small wooden tanks out there anywhere. And especially for the fermenting world there was no uh
2: mm.
3: everything was either glass or plastic and as i was doing my research i also came you know i'd come across japanese coopers and uh and especially uh the ones in uh yep, shiroshima <laughs> pronouncing that right that's where they make the shoyu yeah thank you and uh yeah yamaroku and they have these large Kyokis, and i was obsessed mm. with the braided bamboo i just fell in love that. And I realized that the washback that I was making was the same as the the large mm. kyoki, with the exception of the braided and I started making small 2-gallon and 5-gallon uh, fermenting tanks. And I sold a few and it was before I was on Instagram, but it seems like in the last year fermenting has gotten really popular and uh, I've been getting a lot of orders. I don't think there's anyone...
1: Mm, I haven't seen that before at least. And- so well the speaking of kyoke, um so well kyoke is wood barrel, like that's a direct translation. Um but what is traditionally it's made yeah. to or anything from the small one can be you know, like there's a big tray, like a, a bucket for cooking or cooking rice and like you the know, sushi chash uh-huh. uses it. But um, yes. for yours your kyoke um what's your intention um what's the you know the time for
3: my intention was to to make a tabletop ferment traditional wooden mm-hmm. fermenter for the uh, for anything from shoyu uh to kimchi sauerkraut um i'm gonna say mm-hmm. this one wrong but uh zuki yeah, yeah uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the brand fermenting, um, and I've been making some for people to do that in, and they really like the insulating quality of mm. the wood for their nuka. It doesn't dry it out. And yes, yeah, so, so we've been doing more and more of them, right. and especially awesome. for people making my well, So
1: for listeners who are not familiar with that wood fermenter, what are the benefits of using wooden fermentation tanks instead of using regular stainless or plastic ones?
3: Yeah, I think that the, the largest advantage is that you can get to create your own biome and a natural biome that will stay there under the wood, local yeast that are in the air, and also what you're working on, so that uh, as you continue to mm-hmm. use it, you've created right. a this. Yes, and then like
1: uh, like you said, Shodoshima uh, soy sauce, um, the you know fermentation tank that's like hundreds of years old, uh, living you know, bacteria, the good bacteria yes. creating the flavor. And then also, like a little psychic brewery said if they move their place, the brewery, then you just completely lose that flavor unless you just bring in all those uh, old equipment and the walls to the new place because the bacteria are gonna be gone. So yeah, that's yeah. an interesting thing. But you have to keep it clean. Well that's another trade off, but I think it's not too
3: yep. hard as far as you maintain. It, it's not. Um, and it seems that even just hot water and steam uh, can go a long way from using it. I, I think the problem is when people stop using it and then put it aside for a while and then try to come back to it and things. Uh, mm. I like to tell people you're starting a relationship with this <laughs> kiyoki, Uh the same way you do with a cast iron pan. You know, you need to maintain it and... And um, to keep it properly uh, seasoned. And if you do that, it works right. very well. So that's well your for friend,
1: companion, you to grow tasty food. That's what they do. Hey? Right?
3: Yes, it's your company. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh huh, yeah. And that started, you know, um, so I started going down the rabbit hole of uh, fermenting and Japanese fermenting. Um, you know, I wanted to go back a, a little bit if I could, because I was influenced by some of the Japanese woodworkers. Um, uh, I have a friend. He's an artist. His name is uh, Martin Pierre, and uh, he's obsessed with coopering and tools. And he brought me all this information on the, uh, mm. the tub boats of Sado Island.
1: Sado, yeah, Sado is, it, is
3: the right? name I think, right? Sedo. Yeah, and they make the, they have these Japanese tub boats. It looks like a little hot tub, and the fisherman is in the tub uh like a boat almost and they go out fishing Hi. in them and uh and they have these little rudders on them so it's like a little kioki that they're out there in the water uh using as a boat and uh and so I had a book on that and how they made that. And that gave me detailed uh, imagery on how to braid the bamboo. If your listeners haven't seen it, the Kioki is, uh, if you can imagine, a large hot tub. But instead of cables or steel, uh, they've braided the bamboo mm. shaft. They quarter the bamboo um, so that they have a strand. And then they braid it. And when they're done, it has the strength of like a steel cable. You can watch the men banging them down.
1: Right. Uh,
3: it's like they're Interesting. hitting,
1: you know, so, steel. Yeah, so the okay is, uh, by definition, it's a wooden, um, open, you know, no lid, open shaped, like whatever, you know, the round barrel shape. And uh, so this uh-huh. sounds like there's an unlimited possibilities for you to produce. Maybe you can just make that kind of like a little boat <laughs> with your... <laughs> what?
3: Yes. Yeah, we could. Oh, yeah. There's so many. Yeah, there's so many different tangents. You know, people always say, "Oh, you should make hot tubs, or you should do this." But uh, um, I've been really enjoying doing the Japanese fermenting vessels, and it goes hand in hand uh, with what I'm doing for the distillers. We're building. Um, I'm building right now five 300 gallon tanks that are going to go out to Seattle that the distillers are going to uh, use to ferment in. So we're, um, we're doing a lot of tank work. Uh, mm, different right. scales the other
1: product I wanted to ask you about is uh, the Koji Tray and yeah so um, why did you decide to make a Koji Tray because you know uh, we had amazing guests last week uh, Jeremy Mansky and uh, Richard so they just wrote a book uh, Koji Alchemy and uh, Koji is becoming like currently a keyword right now but Yeah, so somebody asked you
2: to make it or
3: you just got interested in? Yeah, about a year ago, somebody, in fact, that Jeremy has both my trays (laughs) and uh, Kiyoki that he uses. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of those guys. Um, But I was asked by someone if I could make them for them. I guess there was somebody in the Midwest who started Mm -hmm. making them for people and I guess he just disappeared uh, right around when it was getting popular. And I looked it up and uh, I thought it was a great, uh, companion to the tanks. Uh, I have an engraving machine. On my kiyoki, I found the uh, Japanese lettering mm-hmm. for Kioki, and I engraved that onto the tank. And then I found uh, for koji. So I engraved that on the side, uh, uh, the, the lettering for that. And uh, we've been making a lot of them. There was just a, a need for it once all these Fermenters found that I was making them, and, and that's due to Instagram, really. Right. Um, awesome. I started getting a lot yeah, of Yeah, so
1: basically, from... um, you know, to grow koji for, like, for instance, sake make, making, you have to grow, you know, steam rice and sprinkle koji spores on top. And then the next step is you have to grow koji over rice, but you need a light, clean tray which you're making. And I think traditionally the tray is like shallower yes. and for more efficient production, there's a box shape, and I don't think it's as good as um, the tray shape in, uh, in terms of the results because more, you know, the more you um, put a lot of rice in it in the deeper box, it's hard to make a even aeration for the spores and things like that. So I was excited to see your koji tray. It's called in Japan. It's a uh, morobuta or koji buta, right?
3: Oh, I, oh, Koji Buddha. I've been saying Koji yeah, Ban. So it's Koji not Koji ban, it's Koji Buddha. Yeah, that's
1: right. the... Right, so the Koji Bako is a box, which I think it's kind of sort of second class, <laughs> if I can say. But it is more like modernized, um, uh, more efficient yes. version. Okay. But Koji trades, Koji Buddha, or sometimes Morobutta. Yeah. So if, if you want, I can send you a link, or whatever I find.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I would love it yes, you know I've been uh you know just like I learned about the barrels I'm very curious and it's been a wonderful path um, you know finding all this out and finding out about more about Japanese coopers too and uh, in America, there was different kinds of coopers and there was a white cooper, and the white cooper uh, made your utensils and back then uh, the word utensil didn't just mean knife and fork. The butter churn your bowls, and you would have a white cooper who made those pieces for you. And I realized that in Japan, they also had that cooper, that it was the coopers mm. who were making the kyoki and the koji Buta. So, so um, it wasn't that big of a stretch for me to make that because traditionally, if I was a right. Japanese Kooper, also, I would be considering making Considering
1: get back to that, I don't think there's any better person in this country to make a koji tray, so yeah, <laughs> I really think so. Because it's, ah, it's an uh, artwork i in japan it uh yeah it's really important I think oh, okay. in japan the the actual coopers are said to uh be they they really need at least ten years to become the real cooper in japan so yeah
3: yes yes and the same uh the same in Scotland um we used to have the trade here in America but uh for different reasons uh-huh. um but yeah, even Williamsburg, there where the uh, Wyeth Hotel is, that was a very large cooperage, oh, I didn't know and they that. made barrels and ropes there, and uh, all along the Hudson, yeah, all along the Hudson, the Dumbo area, uh, we're making barrels right. to ship. things So up and um, down I'm the curious Hudson.
1: though, because you have such a culinary background, uh, do you ferment foods yourself with your own handmade equipment?
3: <laughs> I haven't had time. The business has been really. Uh, it's been keeping me really busy and i've given some to friends who have made a kimchi cheese and shoyu in them and i, I do right, want to start doing burning. it but i to shop all the time
1: <laughs> right. right so uh so let's take a quick break yeah. here and yeah. when we come back we'll discuss uh, white oak uh, versus japanese cedar so please stay us. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the world's natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Coin.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's. But since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. It's order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com go Japan. Welcome back. You're
1: listening to podcast Podcasting Live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. No, it's not. <laughs> studio in uh, Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn, my apartment. Sorry, it's like automatically like, it came out of my mouth. Um, I'm your host, Akiko Teyama, and my guest today is John Cox, uh, who is the owner and cooper of uh, Kirkus Cooperage in Hudson Valley, New York. All right, so let's have talk about the wood. Um, so... In Japan, the sugi or a Japanese cedar, and also, you know, you mentioned uh, the bamboos, but Japanese cedar is primarily used for food production equipment, such as fermentation trays and tanks. And for instance, who are not familiar with Japanese cedar, uh, it's called the sugi, sugi tree, and it is native to Japan, and I heard 12% of the land area of Japan is planted with it, so it's a <laughs> major tree. And there are many other products made with it, such as bento boxes, sake cups, chopsticks. And um, Sugi has a big pleasant and sully sweet scent that flavors food very well. But uh, John, so you use white oak, which is another amazing native tree to your area. And you said carcass alba, that's the name, I think Latin name, right? So what are the advantages and disadvantage of using white oak versus other trees like cedar.
3: Sure. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So I'll talk about the barrels for a minute and the whiskey barrels that I make. Uh, They're made out of white oak. And for 2000 years, uh, barrels were made out of white, white oak. Uh, White oak has a cell structure when it's cut quarters on that allows the moisture and liquid not to pass through it and, makes the barrel watertight. that's why you don't see mahogany barrels or cherry barrels or pine barrels um it's quarter sawn white oak if any of your listeners are familiar with uh, mission furniture or arts and crafts furniture uh has a very distinctive look the wood has these like diagonal squiggles in them uh they're called medullary rays and in those rays are little gate valves and as the tree grows Mm -hmm. the gate valves close and allows a cooper to, or a boat builder to make a vessel or Mm, barrel that is watertight. But. So that's the white Oak. That's why we use it because of the, uh, because of its structure. Now with tanks, we don't have to bend the wood. So because we don't have to bend it, we can use a thicker stave. The stave is a Mm. part of a barrel or a tank. Um, So we can use woods like fir or cypress, or in Japan, the shugi. Um, I have learned, I've been researching the shugi, and I've learned that it's uh, more related to cypress here in America than it is. Even though in America we call it Japanese cedar, uh, it's Hmm. more in the cypress family, not the cedar family. Yeah, very interesting. So, uh, and, and I've been doing tanks out of Cyprus because I feel like that matches the Sugi uh, better than... I haven't been able to get any here. I would love it. If any of your listeners <laughs> are Sugi exporters, please call me. <laughs> but, right. uh, uh, it's hard to get here. Uh, and um, so, yeah, quarter sawn white oak. And when the European settlers came over here, they found vast tracts of it. Uh, it milled better than the French oak that they were using, and they quickly started sending it back to Europe and England. And uh, American quarter-sawn white oak became the go-to wood, mm. uh, to
1: right. make, uh, well, so from. I actually found uh, some some reason, There's a comparison of uh, you know the how much uh, air the sugi and uh, the white oak con- contain, and this is interesting. So as a result of my research, white oak is stronger, harder and stronger, and it tends to shrink, which is you have to be really careful because you have to predict how much it's going to shrink and still keep the shape straight, right? How do you do that?
3: <laughs> yes. Yes. And then, you know, the other... The- Oh, yeah. So our, the moisture content of the barrel staves is higher than if you would ask me to make you a table. So the moisture content is high. Um, and so it's made to have liquid in it. The barrel is really designed to have liquid in it. It doesn't want to dry out. So a barrel can have anywhere from 25 to 30 staves. And if... Each stave shrinks even just a sixteenth of an inch, you've all of a sudden lost two inches of the circumference of that barrel, and the rings can slip off and the Mm. barrel can get very loose and unruly. So uh, we want the barrel to be filled with water and to stay swelled. The the straps around the barrel that you see, the rings, uh, they're actually like clamps holding that wood together, uh, squeezing it together. A barrel has no glue or screws or nails. Um, It's just being forced together by the rings. I like to tell people
1: like
3: to right.
0: use the force. Right. Well,
3: by the way, yeah. And also, mm-hmm. the other thing about oak—oh, god—it has a tannins. Uh, a white oak uh, is uh, rich in tannins, and it's those tannins that uh, bring a lot of the flavor mm. profile to the whiskey. Uh, The other woods like sugi and fir and cypress uh, don't have those tannins, and they're better as a neutral vessel, as we talked about before, so you can create your own biome. If we made the tank out of oak, the tannins Mm. would overpower everything. Um, And by air drying the wood, as we talked about before, I'm flushing a lot of those tannins out. If I made you a barrel with wood I just cut, it would be like making tea with 10 tea bags. It would be very astringent. So uh, by seasoning it, lower the moisture content, and allowing it to dry, we're also flushing out the tannins. Mm. So,
1: meaning flushing you know, means it like actually wash in the oak before you dry them, or... no,
3: no. So, like on a molecular level, the tannins are inside the cells, mm. like a tissue paper almost. And uh, if you can imagine, wood is a bundle of straws. Uh, in those straws, uh, is like a tissue paper substance, the tannins, and mm. that gets leached out as it dries. Yeah, so two things are happening. You know, it's like you have moisture in your body, but when you jump into a swimming pool, that moisture content doesn't mm. change. Your body just gets wet. So, and if you were thirsty and you were dehydrated, you could jump mm. in the water and still be dehydrated. So, the same with the oak. We let the oak uh, air dry outside, and even though it's getting wet, the inside is still shrinking mm, and losing right, moisture content.
1: Wow. does that make sense? Yeah.
3: Mm, so even though it's getting wet, it is right. drying out.
1: Wow. So that's why it takes a long time completely uh, in order to completely dry inside. That takes two years. Right. Yeah. Is that the ma- yeah. Right. Is it the maximum yes, ten, yes. Uh, two the- years, or so does the optimal time, or you can do it longer?
3: No. Some people, uh, I saw one Cooperage, they have five-year seasoned oak. Some will tell you that that's too old. Um, I think a lot of people like three-year aged oak. Um, Some places are saying they do it for nine months. I mean, to a lot of distillers, the barrel is like a Dixie cup. Right. a disposable (laughs) vessel that they're going to use and get rid of. Because uh, there's another one, you know. They're not, nobody's at home cleaning right. the Dixie cup and putting it back on the. <laughs> do people even know what Dixie cups are anymore? Mm. You know, or the disposable wax cups. So, uh, to the distiller, they're not holding each barrel up as a bespoke piece of craftsmanship. They are mm. uh, getting rid of it right. and filling a new okay.
1: one. Okay. And otherwise, if you dry too much, uh, it, you can't bend. It's going to break, right, at some point
3: oh yeah but i guess my point was that to some people uh it's that's not even important to them they're just looking for the vessel and uh, uh to some people it's important how long the uh, the oak is aged but to some of these larger distilleries they're just trying to you know mm. get the liquid in there so it can age and not some are more concerned than okay. others over age um
1: time. so but the longer and the less tannic in a way right and undesirable flavors
3: Right. yes the longer okay. it is
1: and uh, mm-hmm. so by the way let's go back to the Japanese um, you know kiyoki and the trays how long does it take for you to produce um, each one of them
3: uh, the Kyoki takes me about a day and then I water test it and uh, make a lid for it but I can do one or two a day and, and the koji trays mm, I can do right. you know four or five a day I- yeah, like I said, it's just <laughs> right, me for myself. now.
1: Um, but I think uh, I would really expect um, Koji use, users are going to be more kind of a focus of the carinary professionals and not home cooks alike. That's my uh, you know, prediction. So you may be very really busy. Because I don't think there are many other okay. people doing it, right? You're probably oh, yeah, the I'd... only one Whoa. in New York.
3: It does seem that way across the United States, yes. And uh, yeah, and Jeremy, uh, their book uh, is going to bring a lot of popularity. I'm going to actually start featuring it with my mm. kits. I'm going to be selling uh, Koji Alchemy uh, along with my kits. And uh, we did a workshop up at the Cooperage. I brought someone in, uh, Mark Phillips from Earth Cultures, and uh, I talked about the history of Cooperage, and he gave Koji demonstrations, and we were right there in the shop. People like to come into the shop and see the machines and the tools. So uh, uh, we had a great class. Yeah, we were how going far to continue to do are it. are
1: you uh, from uh, New York City? I'm going to speak you eventually when we have uh, – okay, not so bad. Uh, an hour and uh, a half. Okay.
3: No. Yeah, we're like a suburb. You can get on the bus. A lot of people commute where we live here. Oh. Uh, it's an hour and a half uh, right to the Port Authority. And, uh, yeah, we're very close. And uh, and a lot of people, there's a lot of restaurants opening up. There's been a big resurgence here in like Kingston, New York. And there's already a lot of farmers and craft brewers. And mm. It's really a nice little bread basket up here of right. foodies. Well, uh, this
1: is something stillies. I look forward to. After yeah. this whole COVID thing is over or, you know, Back to some semblance of normalcy. Hopefully, I come and see you. Yeah. Um, t-
3: we'll get there. Yeah, you, I'd love to have you up to the Coop Ridge. Sure, Great. I'll give you the tour yeah. and we'll charge there. Um, so,
1: who ready. are your clients right now?
3: Uh, my clients are uh, dist- local distillers, uh, with the, mostly uh, Stout Ridge Distillery in Marlboro, New York. Um, he makes a rye. Uh, using my barrels and some whiskeys, uh, a few other smaller distillers here, and uh, occasional beer uh, people. the The beer people like uh, the brewers really like uh, used barrels, mm. but some of them do use new barrels. And I have a distillery in Rochester uh, who likes my stuff, and they add me into their cooperage. You no, know, they they'll probably go through about. 2000 barrels a year maybe you know 100 of them are mine for something special or a local new york uh, blend that they're doing and that's fine because i'm still small and uh so yeah i've really uh, uh customers i've been with for about two and a half three years they really like my product and it's nice and you know you can go buy barrels for half of what i'm making because they're handmade i have to charge more so again like we were talking about the dixie cups you know they uh They just kind of want to buy the cheap ones and get them filled. So I have them more. Some of my clients are a little more discerning on uh,
2: Mm. the value
3: and what goes into making the barrel. And the way it tastes, uh, uh, you know, so I'm really the only one using New York uh, white oak. And my clients feel that what I bring to the flavor profile is unique by using that wood. You know, we, we talked a little bit about how we toast and char the barrels. When I do that, I'm toasting the sugars, uh, the cellulose and the hemicellulose that's in the, the grain of the wood. And by doing that, mm. I bring a lot of flavor components to the final product. And they seem to like, and the more discerning clients can tell the difference between Missouri wood or New York wood or How do
1: you describe? Um,
3: Pennsylvania yeah.
1: wood. How do you describe the, so I'm right the, nuance, here. the difference of the nuance yeah. of your...
3: Uh, White oak versus something like Kentucky. Yeah, so somebody has said that mine, it's got a little bit more of a vanilla or uh, not like hints of coconut. Uh, Some of the Southern ones can be a little bit more spicier um, with a little bit more of an edge. And some can really be, uh, you know, some wood can really offset the flavor, you know, and start to taste like... Baseball bats, and it depends on how they soak it, how they burn it, how they steam it, how long it's been air dried. So, like we said before, if you moved all the kyokis out of that one shop, it would probably taste different in the new location. And I, I feel like how I'm making them, how I burn the oak, how I steam them, uh, has brought something to mm, the flavor I, that I'm bringing. That's to awesome. I mean, uh,
1: you know, the I'm just curious, like the winery is good. Yeah. Could- use your barrels,
3: right? They could. I mean, uh, French oak uh, has a mystique and a demand that the the vineyards like. Um, A lot of the barrels coming into the wine community are from Napa, the Napa region, and Calistoga, and they're actually getting a lot of their wood from Pennsylvania Mm. because oak doesn't grow in California. Uh, You know, oak grows here in the Appalachia, uh, appalachians and uh it's in missouri uh but it's not all over the country so you're either going to get it from europe or hungary or uh, new york
1: mm. virginia yeah but i i worked missouri, with the wineries yeah. uh, for many years i mean for as a writer and i did actually briefly worked at the winery ah. too and it's always the cost of barrels which is crazy expensive depending on where you buy it from. And also, you know, how you char inside, that's like a very yeah. uh, important customization that you have to discuss with the cooper. So sounds like you're open to any kind of industry. And I was thinking, you know, there's a second, second sake brewery uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kato Sake Works came and I was, he's still small, but he may do some fermentation. I was just like, yeah. you know, uh, this is my own idea. But there's a breweries like that's like breweries in this country, hopefully more going to be here. And they may want to have some, uh, you know, local oak because they use local water. They use uh, local rice, those kind of things. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Yeah, and then the barrels from Missouri. So the barrels bringing a lot of uh, into the flavor profile, uh, not only the wood, but how it's been toasted and how it's been charred. So if everything you have is from New York, from the grain to this, and then the barrels from Missouri, then you know. Um, so a lot of people are using my stuff because it is uh, locally uh, grown. They were supposed to open a large sake. Uh, Place in Hyde Park here, but I think it's been mm-hmm. it does down I, outside yeah, of the CIA. Yeah, I heard it. That, yeah,
1: um, that's one of the biggest and most, I think, successful secularists. I, I, I heard it's kind of a collaboration with CIA too, but um, I I don't know. It sounds like it's nothing happening right now. So, I,
3: yeah, yeah, I heard it's on hold. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like I said, it's a great area to be in. We have like the, the, the CIA here, and people are coming up with the sake and the brewers. And uh, yeah, it's really wonderful up here. Nice. I miss the city. Okay, but,
1: uh, so nice what is your plan? Uh,
3: to keep making the larger scale tanks. Um, I, there's a real niche in there for me to make mm-hmm. the large Akiyoki and fermenting tanks. Uh and to continue uh, working with the uh, the culinary and fermenting community uh you know getting my koji trays out there and i've been working and getting calls from larger industrial people who want to do more larger scale uh, pieces so not just for the home fermenter but like you said the the sake factories and the and the brewers uh, some beer and distillers use mm-hmm. koji. i mean sorry i uh, use koji uh, there's a, a gin manufacturer in nashville and it's all um, they start all their gin and it's right gin. yeah they, they started across the borders
1: food. of anything distillation to beer to sake and everything's to be more interesting and delicious so yeah
3: yeah so hopefully to do more of that and uh yeah and i really enjoy what i do and um and they continue doing that. And hopefully uh, both the culinary industry and the distilling industry survives this. And uh, and they continue to be experimenting. And it's fun to work with people. I'm working with some of the people in Nashville, uh, Sean Brock and his team. And uh, they like experimenting and doing different things. So uh, they'll ask me to try different stuff for them. Uh, I just charred some koji buta for them uh, so awesome. they can make koji in a uh, charred tray. So Hi.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah, so so I'm a to big fan of Sean. Well Sean and uh it's the whole thing, the creative, uh inventive people uh at some point meet each other, like you and Sean and uh at some point meet each other uh, yeah. like you and Sean.
3: Yeah, because um yeah, because of my background as custom fabrication, um I'm more than happy to try something or to try to do something different where some of the barrel manufacturers can only just make their barrel and that's it. So it's been fun uh, collaborating, doing custom work.
1: I mm. know you have the culinary background and also anybody creatively, like you and Sean and Jeremy and those people eventually meet because uh, this world of fermentation and creative chefs and whoever surrounds them very uh, closely knit. So I look forward to whatever you come across and then um, yeah keep me posted
3: yeah and you know you inspire me yeah i listened to one of your shows um and i can't remember the woman who was on talking about japanese tools but i made uh it's
1: elizabeth ando
3: elizabeth ando and you guys inspired me to make a, not only make a oshinta buta am i saying that
1: correctly uh just otoshi buta yeah it's a uh, yeah, otoshi means drop, so drop lid. Otoshibuta. Yeah, and actually, yeah. I,
3: I never liked the way the lids on my kyoki looked, and now I make that uh, drop lid instead of the decorative lid I had. So I evolved. Mm. So you inspired me to evolve the uh, the the kyoki into something even more functional thank you
1: that's nice yeah I saw the pictures and the, the, the Otoshibuta the beauty of Otoshibuta is not just it's beautiful but also it floats it doesn't close so it gives some air yes. I mean depending on how you design it but just uh, you can keep the whatever is growing inside um, active and live, and you know like so yeah but that's great so uh, um, all right So where can we find your updates online?
3: Yeah, well, I I try to post daily on Instagram and show my process and the different pieces we're working on. I have a website at qcooperage.com and you can buy uh, my barrels or fermenting products there like the Kyoki and we're trying to uh, redo it now so I can offer some of the different Koji kits that I make. And like I said, mm-hmm. we're going to be uh, featuring uh, Koji Alchemy, the book, uh, with our kits soon. So QCooperage.com.
1: Great. All right. So uh, hopefully I'll see you soon at your Cooperage. I would love to have you, you right Nico. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. So thank you so much and uh, good luck.
3: Well, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. It was an honor. All
1: right. So, uh, listeners, uh, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics to guests, please contact us at Japan at heritage radio or Kikwataima.com. Japan needs is uh, live at 3 pm on Mondays, usually, but it's kind of like edited, recorded later. I mean, posted later. So, please check uh, the heritage radio network.org. Uh, and Japan Needs page and uh, our engineer today is Matt Patterson and thank you for listening I'll see you next week Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you For freshest content subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.